Preachers don't normally speak to the Gospel of Mark on Easter because it is, frankly, the least assuring of the resurrection narratives. I mean, Jesus is still risen and all, but no one sees him with their own eyes, at least not yet. The story is shrouded in uncertainty, and it ends more like some art house film than the Hollywood blockbuster finale of Matthew, where an angel from heaven descends amidst an earthquake and strikes the soldiers guarding the tomb with lightning. Mark is far more subdued, understated, and frankly, more believable. Our own lives, after all, are shrouded in uncertainty too, especially now. But if we listen carefully, Mark's resurrection story offers us more than platitudes, more than the assurance that this too shall pass. It acknowledges our fear. And it also reminds us that there is good news to be heard, if only we are ready to listen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who has been crucified. He has been risen. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God of resurrection. May the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. My son and I held each other's hands as we walked through the deserted warehouse. It was eerily silent, the kind of quiet that you'd expect to find at the end of the world. Last summer, I took my youngest son, Levi, to the Illinois Railway Museum to see the trains. Now, being four years old, he's a fan of Thomas the Tank Engine and his adventures on the fantastical island of Sodor, so he was excited to see some real-life trains up close. The museum even owns a replica of Thomas that you can ride on. 
But we arrived a little late, given that the museum is all the way out in Union, and they were closing up shop that day a little early. Surprisingly, though, instead of sending us back home, they told us that we could wander around as much as we'd like. The museum is mostly outdoors, a series of large warehouses that house a vast collection of antique, decommissioned trains. I'd been here before with my other son when he was little, and at the time it was crowded with hundreds of visitors. But on this day, we had the place entirely to ourselves. It was a strange and uneasy experience wandering those deserted avenues in the late afternoon twilight. The sun had already begun its long descent toward the horizon as we walked past an old-fashioned train car that had been closed for the night. It was a diner. They'd been serving lunch just a few hours ago, but in this context, it looks like it had been closed and abandoned for years. We came across a large depot, and my son and I held each other's hands as we walked through the deserted warehouse. It was filled with row upon row of old locomotives, rusty and silent steam engines that towered above us. We snaked our way between them and explored the ones that you could still climb aboard. The air was hot and musty inside, as if the stale air and the dust hadn't been disturbed for a very long time. There is something inherently unsettling about empty spaces like this, especially places that are normally bustling with life. Exploring them, you can't help but feel like you're somewhere you aren't supposed to be, as if you've wandered off the page, transcended the script, stumbled into a deleted scene or a branching plot line that was left on the cutting room floor. I used to have nightmares when I was little about wandering the corridors of empty shopping malls. These spaces can sometimes foster an inexplicable sense of dread, subtle but palpable. And whenever Levi and I walked into another warehouse or climbed aboard another engine, his little fingers would grip my hand a little tighter. After an hour or so of aimless wandering, we stepped outside into the humid dusk. And it was then, friends, that I saw something truly frightening something that transcended mere disquiet and unease. It was Thomas, the tank engine. The cheerful blue locomotive sat perched upon the tracks, perfectly still. His eyes were lifeless, his broad smile unsettling. And idling there in this empty place, in the failing light of day, he looked positively malevolent. Even Levi sensed it. R rather than rushing towards his favorite engine from the island of Sodor, he said, let's go home, Daddy. Okay, I replied, my gaze still lingering on Thomas. This place is dead anyway. A dead place, Levi murmured, 
holding the phrase in his hands like something he'd picked up off the ground, testing its weight. A lot of the places we used to go are empty now, too, in the wake of this terrible disease that is spreading around the world. Looking around, I'm reminded of ancient Jerusalem after the Israelites were exiled to Babylon, when its streets and its buildings were all empty for decades, waiting for them to return home and rebuild their lives. We are in a kind of exile, too, cast out from the places and the lifestyles that we once knew. The tables at our favorite restaurants are deserted. The usual customers vanished. Retail stores, if they're still open at all, are staffed by a skeleton crew. Their aisles devoid of customers. Basketball courts and baseball stadiums are cavernous and still echoes of take me out to the ball game, lingering on the breeze like a ghost from some bygone era. Skyscrapers filled with office suites are vacant now as more and more people are working from home. And of course, the shopping malls are abandoned too. The stores all shuttered, my childhood dreams fulfilled in their closing like a terrible prophecy. In George Romero's classic horror film, Dawn of the Dead, zombies roam the halls of the local mall. It's some kind of instinct, one survivor reflects, memory of what they used to do. This place was important in their lives. But now, in the midst of a crumbling economy, even the reflexive subconscious need to shop has been taken from us. This is all to say nothing of the most terrible absence, the space left behind by those who have died in this pandemic. According to some models, today was supposed to be the peak death rate here in Illinois. Over 200 people were projected to die today in Illinois alone from this terrible disease. Levi's words haunt me when I think of it. A dead place, he called it. It's a difficult truth to reconcile with the promise of Easter, but this is where we are, grieving, huddled in our own homes like the disciples in that upper room, afraid that this is where the story ends. But we know something that they don't. We know that God breathes life into dead places. The story in the Gospel of Mark begins much like the tale in the other Gospels. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome visit Jesus' grave early on the morning of the Sabbath, bringing spices to anoint his body. They find the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, save for a stranger in white who tells them that Jesus is not here. He is risen. But then things take an odd turn. We're told that they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. What the? What just happened? These women come to the tomb grieving, and they are not comforted. They literally run from the scene, terrified, and were left with so many questions. 
Who was that stranger in the tomb? Has Jesus really risen from the dead? What happens next if these women adhere to a conspiracy of silence, telling no one what they've seen? There are too many loose ends. This is not the kind of ending that most people want. It is, for many, a deeply unsatisfying conclusion to the gospel, so much so that several additional verses were later composed in the second century and added like some kind of Christian fan fiction, retconning the canon to include scenes of Jesus appearing before the disciples. Humans are impatient creatures. And we don't like to live with uncertainty. We want a happy ending right now. Failing to realize that it will come later in the fullness of time. Now I know that I'm in the minority here, but I like stories like this. Stories with strange, ambiguous endings that don't give too much away. And in my estimation, the final chapter of Mark is actually pitch perfect because it plays with a theme that runs through the entire gospel. Every time Jesus performs some miracle or sign, he warns folks to tell no one what they've seen, as if he doesn't want to draw too much attention to himself. And without exception, they ignore him, and they go running off to tell anyone who will listen. And now, here at the end of the story, when these women are finally told to go and proclaim what they have witnessed, they tell no one because they were afraid. It's an ironic ending, and it, it reminds us how stubborn we can all be about actually listening to what Jesus is trying to say. Namely, how to build a better world and a more just society. But most people just don't listen. Friends, this is our opportunity to listen. We talk about things getting back to normal, but really, normal wasn't all that great for a lot of people. The resurrected Christ walks among the living, but have we really been living all this time or merely surviving amidst a deeply flawed status quo, like zombies wandering the local shopping mall? Soon, we will have an opportunity to fill the empty spaces that we've retreated from with new life and a new way of being. Just like those ancient Israelites returned to Jerusalem after their exile and built a new society. Soon we will have an opportunity to breathe new life into dead places. Yes, these times are uncertain, unprecedented in modern life. No, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we know, we know that ours is a God of resurrection. Ours is a God who brings forth life from the earth after the barren, frigid winter. Flowers coming to bloom, green blades rising from the soil, and leaves budding on trees long thought dead. Ours is a God who breathes life into the womb, knitting together the cells and the blood and the soul that will become a glorious, adorable miracle when that child is born. Ours is a God who forges planets and blazes suns across the infinite canvas of the universe, galaxies like grains of sand on the shores of eternity. 
Ours is a God who took human flesh and died and lived again. And our world will live again, too, if we heed his words. Maybe not today or even this year, but in time. That is the promise and the power of the gospel. Levi and I were talking about Jesus the other day as I was trying to explain the significance of the resurrection. Jesus is really powerful, he mused aloud, his four-year-old brain trying to make sense of it all. He must have built the Statue of Liberty, apparently with his bare hands. I tried to tell him that the French built the Statue of Liberty, but he told me that that was ridiculous. Yes, Jesus is powerful, but not in the conventional sense of the word. I saw a preacher on TV last week telling people that he could cure the virus and end the pandemic. Coronavirus, he hissed as if performing an exorcism. I will blow you away. He really did that. The wind of God. For my part, I was glad he was on TV because otherwise he might have spit on someone. Faith doesn't work like that. You don't just snap your fingers or blow on people and solve all the world's problems. In fact, blowing on people is a really bad idea right now. We have to live through this. But if we live faithfully, listening for God's word, speaking God's truth, sharing the good news, building up the kingdom from the ruins of this world, then I am confident that a new and better world awaits us. A society that is a little more equitable, more compassionate, more just, and more appreciative of the things that really matter. Something a bit closer to the world that Jesus envisioned than the one we've left behind. It isn't lost on me that your experience in worship today has a lot in common with Mark's Easter story. You've come here seeking out Jesus, and you have found an empty church, an empty tomb, vast and sepulchral. And there is a strange man dressed in white telling you that everything is going to be all right, despite all evidence to the contrary. Do you believe him? Do you believe that Christ walks among the living? Will you share the good news? Or will you say nothing and remain silent in despair? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he is still speaking, proclaiming the kingdom of God. If only we are ready to listen. Amen. And now, may you go forth from this place more hopeful than afraid, 
May you proclaim the good news that Christ is risen. And may God bless you with the courage to imagine a new world bursting with color like a rainbow in the dark. Amen.